and welcome to a haunting episode of Homegrown History. I am one of your hosts, not Elvira, but Rebecca Davis. I'm not going to talk like this the whole episode. I'm Rebecca Davis. I'm one of your hosts. I'm the archivist at Limestone County Archives in Athens, Alabama. And I'm joined by my not-quite-a-ghost yet, but I'm getting Richard, closer all the time. I'm Richard Martin. I always <laughs> one here. That's right. And this is a very special bonus episode we're excited to bring to you about the ghosts of Athens, or at least a few of them. And we have a very special guest I'm very excited to have with us today. Uh, you local folks probably already know Shane Black. He's from that Ripley bunch of blacks. So, you know, you can make up your mind whether you like that or not. A good thing or a bad thing. That's right. <laughs> That's right. And Shane, <laughs> all right, somebody let that hoot owl out of here. <laughs> so uh, Shane, um, of course, he's a Limestone County boy. He is a local attorney and uh, attorney for the city of Athens. He's very involved with a lot of great causes here in Athens. Athens, but most importantly for our purposes today, Shane wrote the book on the ghost of Athens. It's literally called Spirits of Athens. Where can you get this book, Shane? You know, at this point, I'm not sure. I think it's just <laughs> on Amazon now. It was published Is it? several years ago. You know, yeah. I think we still don't have a copy of that for the archives. We need to steal that from well, you I'll, before I'll, we leave. I'll get you a copy. And Shane, if you have never been on one of his haunts walks that he leads in October, by the time this comes out, you may be too late for it, but... Put it on your calendar for next year because I can tell you, you will have chills running up and down your spine by the time you spend an evening walking around Athens with Shane. So Shane, we're so glad you joined us well, today. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I feel like we should turn off the lights and light some candles and whatnot for this one. What do you think? Ghost stories are always better in the dark. I know, right? Always. Well, I've got a story. Shane's got a couple stories, but I want to start with Richard. Tell us just a little about about the ghosts that you were always afraid of when you were growing up in Athens. Well, when I was growing up in Athens, um, we would walk everywhere. And uh, in the summer months, the East Prior Street gang would walk to the swimming pool, which was down, you know, where the uh, pond is and the, mm-hmm, the duck, duck pond, pond and mm-hmm. all like that. But Mary Ann Thomas Woodruff, was always one of our leaders, and she was always getting after me. And she told me if I didn't behave, she's going to tie me up in that well up there by that them two old ladies in the John Stockman's old house. <laughs> and so when I walked by there, I was scared to death. <laughs> so I always behaved with Marion Woodruff. But anyway, that was my ghost. Did story. any ever ghosts ever come out? Do you ever see anything you couldn't I explain? Saw, I saw those two old ladies. They was coming out, really, to get some water. Oh, so they were yeah. flesh and blood. They That's weren't right. ethereal of the ethereal nature. But anyway, I was, that was an old haunted house, as far as I was concerned. I got you. I got you. Well, Shane, I know you've got some great stories that you tell at the Haunts Walks, So, um, which those are normally on Tuesday nights? Yeah, I think they're on Tuesday and Thursday. Tuesday all, and all Thursday. All through the month of October. Put on your walking shoes, right? Yeah, put on your walking shoes. Although this time we've got a few of them that are on the horse uh, and carriage that go around oh, the square. Yeah, I know. I, I did one with the horse and carriage, and the full moon was out, and the clip-clop of the horses while you're going down these dark streets talking about nice. the ghost. That's kind of like that. You almost yeah. expect to see the headless horsemen come by, don't Almost. You? <laughs> Almost. Well, tell us a story. All right. Uh, well, well, first, I got to say, yes, I'm a county boy. I grew up out at Clements, and mm-hmm. so, you know, I, I didn't know any 
ghost stories in Athens. I mean, if you were to ask me about, no, we know, we all know the Hanawha Bridge ghost story. We've all heard yeah. of that. Although I didn't know until I was groaning at the archives, it's Hannah Ward Bridge. Did you? <laughs> well, to us, it's Hannah Ward. They can call it whatever they want up there, right? We're going to call it Hannah Ward Bridge. Don't get technical. No, can't get technical. If you get too technical with them, they fall apart it's sometimes. Fall and apart. so you've got to be careful with that. But no, I, so we were trying several years ago to see, okay, do we have any ghost stories? in and about Athens that we can tell to do these ghost walks because, mm-hmm. you know, some people be off to Charlotte or to New Orleans. You know, they're selling tickets on these things left and right. It's around Halloween time. We're trying to figure out do we have anything like that. And I'd never heard of any. Mm-hmm. Thought, well, that'd be great if we've got them. Mm-hmm. So we started looking. And uh, back then, well, I think we put a little ad in the courier and asked about it. Yep. And, and y'all, we were just blown away. Inundated, weren't you? We were inundated by all these <laughs> stories. And a lot of them were, you know, stories that didn't have a lot of meat around the bone. You know, somebody's got an old house and there's a cool spot in it and the cats hiss in the corner. Right. But then there were some that just were pretty amazing. Mm-hmm. And near as I can tell, you know, they, they were just all sort of local legends. Some of them were more well known than other, like McCandless Hall and the ghost sure. of Abigail Burns. Um, you know, Donnell House and Little Ghost and Annie, Donnell upstairs and the mm-hmm. toys and she plays with the toys. Those, those are well known, but we had a lot of them that we discovered that just weren't very well known at all. And so, right. oh, yeah. yeah. But yeah, all right. So, so I guess the one I'll tell if you want one, so many good ones, but talk mm-hmm. about Founders Hall because okay. I figure everybody listening to the podcast knows what I'm talking about when I'm talking about Founders Hall. And if you're not local to, um, Lonsdale County, cause I know we're starting to get more listeners from elsewhere. Uh, it's Athens State University, oldest university in uh, Alabama, established in 1822, and Founders Hall was built in 1844. And go on. Yeah, only about 20 years after the town was founded. Exactly. So, you know, all the townsfolk come together and build this remarkable achievement. This building still stands the test of time today. It's where kids go and have prom pictures made out in front of it. It's weddings out in front, right? It's mm-hmm. one of those. And the building has all kinds of cool stories oh, about sure. it. The columns have names, those four big columns yep. out front, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yep. There's supposed to be a hidden jug of whiskey uh-huh. from the brick mason that mm-hmm. supposedly was caught while on the job uh, drinking whiskey. And so he lowers his bottle of whiskey into the column, and as the foreman comes by, he catches on to what's going on, so he moves the guy off a little further down the line and then has him brick it up while yeah. he's over there. Mm-hmm. So he can't get back to his lost jug of whiskey. As a matter of fact, when we were putting together these ghost stories, the archivist over there said, you know, there is a awesome poem from the like the 1911 yearbook of the college really that there was a poem i'll tell you what i'll just i'll just read you yeah, a line yeah, or yeah. two from Find it. It. Find this it for sure. attributes the ghost of founders hall to the mason who lost his jug of whiskey oh, that's inside awesome. so you got a spirit looking for his spirit yeah so it's pretty long so i'm just gonna i'll kind of yes. cut it down but the watchman is a man of might the cookie is a host but I'm the one who rules by night, for I'm the college ghost. Oh, I was once a mason proud with a wicked taste for drink. For that I come to wear a shroud and make the living shrink. I worked upon the columns high before the college door. I brought my jug, t'was mighty dry, and hid it in the core. Of that tall column on the left, and when no boss was by, I grabbed the jug with motion swift and swing it up on high, and take a nip with eager zest to wet my dusty throat. Twas old Scotch rye, the very best that a mason proud could boast. But the boss, he was a temperance man, and he played a cruel trick. He broke into my pleasant plan to haul a load of brick. I went away and hauled the brick, and then I brought some sand. But, oh, it was a cruel trick the cruel boss had planned. Because another mason 
had been set to build the column high, though in its core was goods to wet a throat like my dust dry. And not until the column high was finished, Captain Crown, did that mean boss permit me by or let me hang around. So he goes on and he laments the loss of the whiskey. And then he says, for 20 years, I watched the spot where my good jug was hid, hoping that a fire hot might open that fast sealed lid. And when the years had passed, I died from grief for that good gin. And in a ground I would not hide, but prowl of bogey fin. My splendid jug of old scotch rye for many long, sad years. Inside that facile column high has caused this ghost sad tears. And still I guard the sacred spot, because in this same town, there's others hoping a fire hot may free my jug renowned. And he goes on to describe how he continues to wander throughout the night at the college, protecting the girls. And he closes saying, and I likes my job of being just a simple college ghost and of watching close and seeing that all's right upon my post. Nice. So, so this incredible poem, complete with illustrations. That's great. Now the 1911 yearbook. Probably written by one of the students Written, there. no doubt, by one of the students. Right. Founders Hall has always mm-hmm. been said to be haunted. And there are many different stories about Founders Hall. And some of the earliest recollections, there was a visiting professor that was there one night, and he was staying upstairs in the bedroom when he awoken to what sounded like what sounded like the jingle jangle of uh-huh. keys outside the door. So he goes to the door, and he runs, and he opens it, and he sees a blue shimmering orb in the darkness of the hallway that shivers when he approaches it and takes off down the hall. Now, this story is from before the Civil War, according oh, wow. to the archivist. That they were so impressed with this young man, they were going to offer him a job, that he left in the middle of the night and he didn't return. And even when they mailed him a letter and asked him to come back to give him a job, he refused wow. to ever set foot in Founders Hall again, given the experience he had. Now, that's a neat story, mm-hmm. but what to me is just incredibly fascinating is over a hundred years later, there's a parallel story of a professor in the upstairs of Founders Hall mm-hmm. doing grades late at night. And as he does grades, he's doing the grades, he hears the jingle jangle of keys from outside the door, and he thinks it's a security guard. So he stands and he goes to the door and opens the door and sees a ball of light which shimmers and flies down the hall. Now, fascinating because both of those stories took place over a 100 years apart, and they describe sort of the same kind of phenomenon. And I know I'm telling anecdotes. There's a lot more to this stories about the ghost in Founders Hall. But one of the ones I enjoy the most is about um, a young student named Mary. You know, Founders Hall, Athens Female College, before it was Athens State University many years ago. Mm -hmm. Only a school for young ladies. Right. And so this story of a girl there named Mary during the time of the Civil War when Madam Jane Hamilton Childs Mm -hmm. was the headmistress of the school. And by all accounts, she was a very stern headmistress. So she's the headmistress and Mary's a student and it's very strict. And of course, it's all female school. So, you know, the number one rule would be what? Would be no boys. Right. Right. (laughs) Number one rule is no boys. Curfews strictly at nine o'clock. But Mary had fallen in love. And and what I've learned from telling these ghost stories is love always gets you in trouble in a ghost story. But That's true. It is true, right? <laughs> so Mary falls in love with this Confederate soldier, and she wants to see him. But it's after curfew, and she can't, and he's not allowed on campus. And so through a stable boy, she slips him a note and says, 
I will meet you under the trees in front of Founders Hall at the stroke of midnight. He, he, he sends a note back and says, you know, that will work. We're leaving tomorrow for potential military action north of town. So stroke of midnight, Mary has stayed awake. She's lying awake in her bed, the top floor of Founders Hall. And she creeps out of bed. She puts on one of her nicest dresses and she opens the door and looks down the hall to where Madam Childs' room is. And they said you could see the lamplight underneath the door if she was still awake. And mm -hmm. you'd see it was dark if she was asleep. And it was dark. And so Mary figured she was all right. And so she steps out. She grabs her oil lamp and she, she proceeds to the landing. The stairs are in the same place they're in today. Sure. The big boxy stairs. There's this opening between the stairs. So if you're at the bottom, you can see all the way to the top, right. the top seeing all the way to the bottom. So Mary stops. She's in the darkness. She's looked back. She doesn't see anything. And uh, in the quietness, uh, she thinks she hears something, you know, snap behind her. So she turns and she looks back towards Madam Childs' room, but everything is still black. Um, and so she turns around. She's so nervous. Her hands are shaking. She's going to get caught. He's waiting outside for her. She's in a hurry. She opens up the cage and the oil lamp. She strikes a match. She goes to light the wick. And as she does, she hears something pop again behind her. And she turns around and whirls. And as she, as she looks behind her, back towards Madam Childs' room, she doesn't see anything at all. She's, is it my imagination? Her heart's pounding. She turns back around and her dress, a fold of her dress has gone inside the cage where the lamp is. And it's, it's smoldering. It's on fire. And so she, she rips her dress out from the, cage of the lantern and she's she's trying to put it out she's she's trying to put it and as she does she slips and when she slips she falls over the railing and she lets out a blood curling scream and she falls and crashes down to the bottom floor the lamp explodes into flame and this terrible racket and all of the students come and you know they're waking madam child's waking and then they find her dead of at wow. the bottom where she's broken her neck and in the flames of the oil which is now lit horrible all the while he waited outside. One of the stories that students have told for many years about Founders Hall is that when you are outside, and you can imagine this, and for listeners who haven't been there, it's this magnificent, huge building with four columns and windows all across the front of it that now have two big stories and then a third that goes up to a little couple that's up at the top. Students say that late at night when it's really dark, sometimes you can look up into those windows mm -hmm. at the top and you can see uh, a lantern light that raises and lowers and disappears. And then you see it in the next window All right. rising and lowering the next one All until right. it goes through the entire top floor. And the students have always said that what you're seeing is the ghost of Mary, who in, in death continues to haunt the upper floors of Founders Hall, that that's her lamp that you see. Mm -hmm. But even now in death, she remains too afraid to descend the staircase to go meet her lover. Oh, I give me chills. I walked by that college, I don't know how many times, going to the movie. I'm glad I, I didn't know that. Now, I've heard that story before, and you know, I like to go running. I run this town. Yeah, you run and early. And I'll run at 5 o'clock in the morning, and if I ever run by Founders Hall, I'm just like, no, I'm not going to look up at the window. I'm not going to look up at the window. 
I don't want to say something I don't want to say at five o'clock in the morning. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> By the light of the silvery moon. Yeah, I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, that's a good one. That's a classic right there. It is. It is. I mean, in Founders Hall, you know, it's part of the college campus, so there's a lot of different stories. There's stories about Founders Hall and the Fiddler's Convention outside mm-hmm. and all these photographs that are in the archives, these orbs of light mm-hmm. that are over the crowd when the crowd is there assembled and everybody's happy and feeling good. Yeah. But folks have taken pictures and there's these unexplainable orbs that are in the air above it. Yeah. And, and, and now look, I'm no, I'm no psychic. I'm no ghost hunter. <laughs> you know, I, I am not. I'm just a country boy from Clements. But. <laughs> but I will say, you know, when you hear these things enough from people who have experienced them or who have seen them. Sure who are good God-fearing people that you know don't have any agenda, it, it makes you sometimes begin to worry, begin <laughs> you, to wonder. You kind of wonder. A yeah. little bit, yeah. Well, and I know that there have been ghost hunter. I think there was a ghost hunter show that came to Founders Hall a few years ago. I think they recorded some voices and footsteps and orbs, and I don't know what all, but I know that there's been it's been the subject of a lot of ghost hunts over the years. Yes, too. yeah. Now, well, you've got one, too, okay. right? Okay, I do, I do. Um, before I get into it, though, it's funny you said that about the professor working late. Just yesterday, I ran into Brad Kernut, who, if y'all don't know, he's the Limestone County Circuit Clerk. So, he works up at the courthouse. And he says, you know, late at night, when he's had to go up there and just try to get some work done, he's had lights just cut off and on. You know, one time there was like a pounding sound on the vault that where the records are kept, and <laughs> nobody's there, but... Yeah. He said, you know, I think it's probably just some circuit clerk from years past telling me, just go home. Just go <laughs> home to your family. <laughs> he said, yeah, I've seen some things I can't explain up in there. He said, and he said that one night when he was working there by himself, that he heard like the bang, 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 bang on the vault. And he got up, looked, and there was nothing there. And then he looked out in the hallway, if you've been in the courthouse, to the circuit court clerk's office. Then, you know, you can see across the end of the basement, and it's kind of an open two hallways that meet there, intersect there. And he said he saw just like an orb kind of going around through the basement. And he was just like, I think it's time for me to go home. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, he just told me that yesterday. Wow. So I guess it's that time of year. But I have a ghost story that I'm like you. I'm, I'm a skeptic. But I do think there are things that happen sometimes that we can't explain. And especially when you know what happened there and you have, like, the history. Yeah. So... The County Commission building in uh, Athens, if you, anybody who's familiar here, you can just point it out by saying it's catty-cornered from the cream delight. And that was built sure. as the uh, post office in 1933. And the postmaster who was there in 1942 was Charles Sarver. Now, Mr. Sarver was a very popular Athenian. He was a multi-term mayor. He got a lot of things done for this town. He was married to the prettiest lady in town. You know, he played baseball for Athens High School. I mean, he was he was not quite Shane Black level, but you know what I'm talking about. Oh, no. <laughs> Maybe Richard Martin level. No, that's, that's a high level. <laughs> that's right. So, Mr. Sarver, you know, after his political career as mayor was over, he got a real cushy appointment to be the postmaster in the new post office. And so, that's where he was working in 1942 when one of his buddies ran for judge. And um, Mr. Sarver, man, he just never quite could keep his fingers out of politics. And so, when his buddy got elected, 
right after that, um, the election officials started looking through absentee ballots and something looked a little off and it looked like they had been tampered with. And so he went under investigation and on a Thursday morning in June of 1942, there was the top headline in the newspaper that Charles Sarver was under indictment for a potential voter fraud. Well, that morning, he walked into the post office upstairs where the workers were already sorting the mail about 7 o'clock that morning, told everybody good morning. And if you go in that building, you'll see there's a lobby and there's a door over to your left that goes down to the basement. Well, he went through the door. He went down to the basement. The workers are upstairs working, and all of a sudden downstairs, they hear, bang! And they look at each other like, what was that? And who's going to go check that naughty it? So finally one guy's like, I'll go check. So he goes down the steps, and before he even gets to the bottom step, he sees Mr. Sarver just slumped over his desk. He had shot himself in the head. Mm. And they rushed him to the hospital, but he was he was dead before he even really got out of the building. So, you know, that's what happened there. Well, over the years, people who have worked there, and just about every commission, county commission chairman who has worked up there says, oh, yeah. I hear voices whenever nobody's there, and there's an office that has a door that opens to the basement. Um, it just opens sometime, you know, sometimes for no reason. So I knew all of this, and then in um, 2017, the archives temporarily moved down to the basement while our building was under renovation, and my office, my desk was sitting right at the spot where Mr. Sarver killed himself. And so over the course of the year that we were there, sometimes like the microfilm machines or the you know, copiers and electronics would just cut on for no reason. Um, sometimes just a random cool breeze would hit you for no reason. You know, the air wasn't on. There wasn't a window open. I mean, it was enough that we just got to where we would joke around, April and I would. And we'd say, all right, Mr. Sarver, we're trying to get some work done, you know. And um, it was just a kind of the running joke. Well, one night, I think the moral of this story is going to be never just go into a building after dark by yourself, especially a public historic building. Because one especially night, a female. Right, exactly. So one evening, it's about 5 o'clock, and the county office is closed at 4.30, but I'd had to finish up, up some work. So I was the last to leave the building, and as I was going out the basement, I looked down the hallway. You could see all the way to the other end of the building down there, and there's a window to the break room. And it looked for all the world like silhouetted against that sunlight, late afternoon sun coming in. A man leaning up against the wall there, like a hat, a long trench coat, just leaned up. And I took a double look and I was like, Rebecca, get a grip. It's just the, it's just the shadow of the stairwell. And you know, I got that chill. And I was like, oh, my imagination's getting the best of me. So I just shook it off and I hurried up the steps and left for the day. And I would say it was nothing if it weren't for the fact that a few weeks later, I was standing upstairs in the building right there in the doorway where Mr. Sarver had gone through to go downstairs and do the deed. I was talking to Michelle Williamson, works for the county, so you can she can back me up on this one. I told her the story about Mr. Sarver, and while I was standing there in front of that door talking to her, the door behind me knocked twice and swung open, and there was no one there. Oh, wow. <laughs> so...
You be the judge. But I'm going to tell you, I've, I've got a picture of Mr. Sarver. I'll add it to our show notes for this episode. And, um, yeah, if you ever see a man with some little wire rim glasses in an old-fashioned coat haunting around the county commission building, just say, hey, Mr. Sarver, and keep on going. <laughs> keep on moving. <laughs> keep on moving. I know some more ghost stories. Maybe I'll save them for next year's episode. But that's my personal ghost story. That's a good one. <laughs> I think so. That's a good one. Let's see. Well, you know what? I think we've got time for one more ghost story from you, Shane. If okay. If you've got another one you want to tell. Well, I'll tell you the thing about Athens is we have a lot of them. You know, Sometimes people say, because I tell these things, they'll say, well, which one's your favorite or which one bothers you? Mm-hmm. Or do, do any of these bother you? Mm-hmm. And I will confess to you guys, and I guess whoever's listening to <laughs> right, that, uh, that the one that gives me the heebie-jeebies mm-hmm. is Governor George S. Houston's home. Mm-hmm. Because, and for those of you who might not be familiar, it's the, it's now the Houston Memorial Library. That's right. It was the home of the governor of Alabama, anyways, right after Reconstruction. Right after Reconstruction. Mm-hmm. He was the first Democratic governor in yep. a long line of Democratic governors. Yep, that's Went right. on for that's over right. 100 Until years. Until Guy Hunt. Until Guy Hunt. That's exactly <laughs> right. Governor George Houston was the, was the first. Yeah. And they say that on the night that the town found out that he was governor, was the grandest party yep. celebration that Athens has ever seen for or since. Sure. Yeah, that's they right. They say that uh, y'all, 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 y'all heard Bald of Eagle of the Mountains is what they call it. The him. Bald Eagle of the Mountains, yeah. He was a real penny pincher. Mm-hmm. He was, uh, they called, they also called him the watchdog of the treasury. Yeah. He was said to never spend a dollar uh, in the public coffer if he, if he didn't absolutely have to. While he was governor of the state of Alabama, there was a governor's fund. It was sort of a governor's stipend to spend how the governor wanted to. He never spent the money in mm-hmm. there. I mean, when, I said, when does that ever happen? Right? <laughs> right, right. Probably the only time in history. <laughs> Probably the only time in history. But yeah, as you said, it is a beautiful old antebellum home that after the Houston family left, it went into the possession of the city of Athens and became our first library here mm-hmm. in town. Mm-hmm. And and now it's, it's been fully restored and renovated in the past few years. And mm-hmm. it's fantastic, open for the public to come and visit, and everybody should. The the building has been said to have been haunted by Governor Houston for many years. And mm-hmm. to talk about it a little bit, you got to know a little bit about Governor Houston. He was probably, of all the varied politicians that we've had come through town, he's one of our most notable. He served in many different roles throughout public life. He was powerful. He's a Congress. He served in the Alabama legislature. He served in the United States Congress, House of Representatives, also as a United mm-hmm. States Senator and as Governor. He was elected Governor in the wake of Reconstruction, which of course wreaked havoc across the South and across Alabama. And although some might question his methods for doing so, I suppose when viewed through a modern lens, he certainly balanced the budget back in Alabama and cut taxes, which made him a, a hero sure. to many. He did such a good job as, uh, as Governor that the Alabama legislature, which is how it was done then, selected him to serve as our next United States senator. So he made this grand return to Washington mm-hmm. where he had served before. He'd actually served in the United States Senate and was the one that delivered the papers of secession on the floor of Congress. And they said he did that with tears in his eyes yeah. because he was a union man. But he returned to his post in Washington, the watchdog of the treasury, the bald eagle of the mountains, a, <laughs> a persnickety man, a heavy set man, balding on top. He was uh, sort of temperamental, they said. He, he valued time and punctuality. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were a little bit late for anything, it made him very angry. He, he valued time. He had an old grandfather clock over at the house. And, and he could often be found uh, in the foyer fiddling with it to make sure it would keep 
perfect time. He always wanted it to keep perfect time. Well, anyhow, he serves for a little bit in the Senate. Doesn't finish out his term. He's on his way back here to Athens for a break from Washington over the Christmas holiday. Catches uh, pneumonia and it worsens. And then on December 31st of that year, he, he dies at home, the bottom floor of Houston Library. It's on one of his last, they say his last words were, John, fetch me my shoes. I must return to Washington. And then he dies wow. there on the bottom floor. This this immense figure, powerful figure in Athens dies. And now today, as I said, it, it is a beautiful antebellum home. You can go in there and visit it. It's lots of the old sights and sounds, those smells, Richard, you know, those old yeah. antebellum homes that have that musty smell about them. And you go in there and walk around the floorboards creak and groan. And, um, and, and the grandfather clock still chimes. It, it doesn't keep good time. It may be uh, two o'clock uh, and it may chime three times. It may be six o'clock at night and chimes five times, which I'm sure would irritate Governor Houston. Um, the librarians talk about hearing it infrequently. It doesn't always ring on the hour. But the oddest thing about the grandfather clock is that nobody can find it in the house. Hmm? They've searched for it. They've heard it many a time. Uh, of course, the walls have been opened in this place, the attic and everything. I mean, everybody's been through every part of that house. But they still hear Governor Houston's prized possession. They still hear it chime, even though it doesn't keep time like they would he would want it to. There was this, you know, lots of times our elementary schools would go have little field trips, mm-hmm. right? I mean, you know, kids go, and they'd go to Houston Library a lot. Was, well, on Saturday, it's open. This is back when it's still a big old library downstairs still being used. A little boy comes in there on Saturday. He's got his mama with him. They come to the librarians, and he says, hey, I was here with Julia Newman. I want to show mama around the house. And they said, well, have at it. That's yeah. wonderful. So they hear him tromping around all you know, the stairs. <laughs> and hear him walking around, and finally they come back downstairs, and, and the little boy is just distraught. He says, what have y'all done with it? And she, the librarian says, I don't know what you're talking about, son. He says, well, we were here, and we, we got to play around it and, it, and and we can't find it now. And, and she said, I don't know what you're talking about. And the little boy said, the grandfather clock. Oh, wow. He said, we, my friends and I loved it. It's the biggest grandfather clock I've ever seen. We've got one at the house. I want to show mom and my grandfather clock. Oh, wow. No grandfather clock there in that house. All <laughs> kinds of stories about that house, about, you know, breezes, cool breezes yeah. coming through the house when there's nothing about. Upstairs they had, before they had central air and heating, had old window units upstairs mm-hmm. would just chug and try to keep up. It'd be stifling hot when they'd go up there. And they, there's a couple of rooms upstairs they'd walk into, and there'd just be these cool breezes that would just rush past them uh-huh. in, the, in the heat. When, you know, I mean, that's just... Where did that come from, right? right? These windows don't open up here in this old right, house. And right. so, so, you know, things like that, they'll smell beans cooking from the back where the kitchen used to be, where nothing's cooking sure. at all. Librarians talk about posting things up on the wall and coming back the next day and they've all been pulled off the wall and they're all down on the mm-hmm. floor. I mean, mm-hmm. weird things. But I tell you, when it was time to replace those old air conditioners and put in central air and heating into this place, which, I mean, if you've ever taken an old house, and, and tried to rip out, right, and put in central air and heating. It's a big oh, effort. It's a job. It's a big job. And so the workers had to come in, and I think it was Buzz Estes mm-hmm. group that did God it. God rest his soul. God rest his soul. They had two guys that were in here, 
And this would have been like in the uh, late 70s or early 80s who were trying to renovate this place, put in central air and heating, replace those old air conditioners. And they had to cut holes, of course, to run duct work where nobody ever intended that holes should be cut. And they're up in the attic that day. And there's no electricity, of course, in the attic. So all they had to go off, <laughs> to go off of was they had a little small roof access, was about three foot by three foot, that mm-hmm. you can get into from the second floor of the home. Bus couldn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And they had a ladder, and these guys had shimmied on through there, and they had run a power cord from the second floor up into the attic. And they had one of those claw lights. You know, I call them claws. Oh, yeah. They're like a little light bulb in a cage, got a little claw on top, and it's an extension cord, basically. Well, they'd run that up there, and they'd hung it up on an old rusty nail in the attic. That was their only source of illumination. (laughs) These guys were up here banging around, clanging around, trying to get this duct worked in. Well, while they were up there doing it that morning, they kept seeing from that access to the saddle, square access to the second floor, they kept seeing someone kind of looking at them, kind of sort of the silhouette of somebody kind of poking their head up in there and kind of seeing what they were doing and putting down. Well, the librarians, the, these librarians that were with, they were very persnickety about the house. I mean, they, they, oh, yeah. you're here, you're cutting this house up. This is a historical house. Please don't cut anything or make put holes in anything that you don't need to. And so they've really been on these guys to be very careful. And so the guys kept seeing them poke their heads in. And so when it came time to break for lunch, they go down the ladder and they go downstairs. And they stop at the librarian's desk and one of the librarians is sitting there and they say, hey, while we've been up there working... We have seen you guys poke your head up there and kind of peep in. And we know we're making a lot of noise, banging around, but I promise you we're being as careful as we can be. And librarian said, well, well, uh, hun, that's, that's not us. We, mm-hmm. we haven't been up there checking on you. And they said, no, nah, no, nah, we know you have now. <laughs> we, we've seen you, we've seen you kind of poke your head up in there. And the librarian said, uh, said, oh no, said that, that hasn't been us at all. Said, you know what? I'll tell you what it is. Said, I bet that's Governor Houston's ghost. And he's just checking on y'all. He's mighty particular about his house. And he's probably just checking on y'all. He doesn't like for money to be spent or anything. And here we are spending all this money putting this heating and air conditioning system in here. Said, that's got to be what it is. And the guy said, he said, what? Said, no, no, no. I know that's what it is. He said, no, it sounds strange. But when we have things to just talk to him. All you need to do is just say, Governor Houston, we're just trying to improve your house. And make it better, and he'll leave you alone. So the two guys said, All right, you know, and they go outside. Well, they're laughing about that. You know, oh, that's the silliest (laughs) thing we ever heard. Ain't no ghost in that house. That's crazy. So they go out and they get a bite to eat, you know, and then they come back in there in about an hour and they've forgotten all about everything. And they go back up into that attic and they're, they're banging and sawing and busting and hammering on things, cutting things, and just, you know, cussing and jumping. They're, they're having a hard time getting that duck work sure. And all they got to go on is that little lamp they can barely see and it's all dusty up there and they're banging around and all of a sudden that light goes out. Oh, oh snap. And they hear something kind of rustling behind them. <laughs> and so they turned over their shoulder and looked towards that access to the second floor where that light coming through from the second floor and between them and that access was a silhouette of a short, heavy-set man. And all I could see was his dark silhouette up there with him, standing there between them and that exit. Mm-hmm. Checking him out. And I said, well, what did you do? And 
Can I talk to you? Said, I just put my hands over my eyes. I said, Governor Houston, we just tried to improve your home and make it a better place. Everything was quiet, and all of a sudden, that light came back wow. on, and there wasn't anything there up there with him at all. That's right. Yeah. Oh, the mercy. Governor Houston's house. You know, it's always been a wonderful, historical, you know, very important thing in our history, but in recent years, everything I hear about it has something paranormal associated with it. Well, and they've been doing so much work. I'm sure they're just shaking. You know, don't you reckon that, that Governor Houston and Buzz right now are just looking down on that saying, I would have done that differently? <laughs> probably so. Buzz is probably joining the ghosts up in there uh, yeah, now. Yeah. Probably saying I'd have told that story way different, Shane. Yeah. Well, oh, that's great. You know, I could sit here and listen to y'all tell ghost stories all night long, but I know you actually have to lead the haunts walks at the time that we're recording this. So, Shane, if um, if this podcast is still going a year from now, I'm gonna just like reserve your time right now for 2022 (laughs) because there's there's still plenty of ghost stories. There's still plenty around. There's the house out on Highway 72 in Clements with the Gothic Gables that. Maybe next year we'll tell that story. I think that'd be great. You know, the most important thing I've learned about these ghost stories is, especially ones that are here local, I mean, they always tell us something about our local history or our local folklore that we don't get anywhere else but from something like this. But the only way a story dies is if people stop telling it. Amen to that, brother. If it stopped being told and it's never written down, it dies. So all these stories you remember your grandparents telling you, you know, that, that have been passed down, if you don't put those down somewhere, That's right. then they're going to go away. Go There's right. so many places in town you can go by and say, gosh, I remember my grandparents saying that that was haunted, but yep. I can't remember why. I can't remember what they said. Right. It, it is so important to preserve local folklore by taking that and recording that stuff. Amen. Amen. And that's what we're doing right here. All right. Well, y'all, thank you all for joining us for a spooky <laughs> episode of Homegrown Haunted History. Happy Halloween. <laughs> <laughs>